0: You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, and this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health. How long does it take for a prematurely born child to catch up to its peers? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Heidi Feldman. Dr. Feldman is the Ballinger Swindells Professor of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics at the Stanford University School of Medicine and the Medical Director of the Development and Behavior Unit at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Stanford, California. Today we're discussing developmental catch-up for children born prematurely, fact or fiction. Hi, Dr. Feldman. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Premature infants have many problems. What made you decide to undertake this study at this time?
1: The faculty and staff at Stanford University have been interested in the follow-up of babies born prematurely for quite some time. This study was the opportunity to work closely with our colleagues in community agencies and services throughout San Mateo County with the generous funding from First Five San Mateo County. With this funding, we were able to enroll a group of 266 children and follow them prospectively from the time of their hospital discharge until the study ended.
0: Could you tell us something about the demographics of the study group?
1: In general, the study group in California is a bit wealthier and more educated than the families of children born prematurely in other parts of the country. In this sample, 79% of the mothers had graduated high school and gotten some education beyond. And income is also a bit higher than uh, you might find in other cohorts. However, the study reflected the diversity in this region. So approximately a third of the families were Hispanic.
0: I noticed from the data that the gestational age, the mean gestational age was thirty weeks, but you had a range from thirteen hundred and fifty grams, roughly age twenty four weeks up to 2,600 grams. Isn't this a very diverse population to draw conclusions from?
1: It is a very diverse population, and actually some of the extremely low birth weight children were even lighter than what you just said. Some of them had birth weights less than 1,000 grams. So it is a diverse group. Sometimes the diversity in the group actually helps you statistically to find relationships that you might not see if you have a more homogeneous sample.
0: What were your major outcomes?
1: We looked at the children's developmental standing at several ages. We looked when they were approximately four months of age, when they reached a year, when they were about 18 to 22 months of age, then again at age three, and at four and a half. At each of those time points, we use a slightly different set of measures because development is changing very dramatically during that period. But overall, we have measures of how the children think or their cognitive skills, how they communicate or their language skills, and also how they function in everyday life with their families, what's called adaptive function.
0: And could you tell us about some of the major findings, how the different groups developed?
1: We were particularly interested in this study in how many children reached the normal range for their age in development. So rather than getting mean scores, which you see in many studies and which is a perfectly legitimate way to analyze data, What we did here instead was to ask how many children had not yet met the normal range. Now, for some of these tests, the normal range is considered 85 to 115, but we would also consider it the normal range of children exceeded 115. So we focused on how many children did not have a standard score of 85, and we studied 18 to 22 months, which we called the toddler era, 36 months of age, which we called the preschool era, and four and a half, which we called the pre kindergarten era. What we found is that at each of those ages, a substantial proportion of the children had not yet reached the normal range.
0: Now, you had a very diverse group again. I think the birth weights, and you're correct, I was that they ranged from 700 to 2600 grams. If we look at the individual demographics, such as gestational age, is there a difference in the outcome? if you're born at 24 weeks versus 28 weeks versus 30, 36 weeks? Because I think each of these things are going to be factors that you probably looked at individually.
1: That's correct. So birth weight and gestational age, which are very highly correlated, are associated with outcome. The longer the baby has been in utero, that is, the longer the gestational age, and the heavier the baby, that is, the greater birth weight, the better the outcome. However, even in the near-term babies who are near normal weight, there is still a higher proportion who have developmental delays than in the general population.
0: What percentage did have developmental delays?
1: So if we look overall at the entire population, at the toddler visit, 55% of the children were meeting age expectations and 44% were less than 85 on their scores. If we look at the preschool era, it climbs to 56 or 50, almost 57 percent meet age expectations and 43 percent remain delayed. And by pre kindergarten, almost 70 percent have reached the normal range and 30 percent remain below.
0: And we'd like to know whether this is an ongoing study, but let me just pause. To welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Heidi Feldman, the Ballinger Swindells Professor of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Today we're discussing developmental catch-up for children born prematurely. The group that you've been studying, you said you followed up so far to age four and a half, and you still had 30% that had not caught up. Is this going to be an ongoing study?
1: Well, I think this cohort we will no longer be following in this particular study, but we have some additional studies where we're looking specifically at markers of neural injuries in children born prematurely. So some of these children may enter additional studies. And we're also beginning to think about how we might intervene effectively with children while they're preschoolers, so that we might be able to improve these outcomes. And that study is just being designed.
0: One of the ways of intervening, I would assume, is direct input from the parents. I practice in a suburb of Chicago, and parents take their children for lessons for everything from how to use their opposable thumbs to scaling Mount Everest. Have you found differences in the outcomes based on how much the parents have invested in their child's growth and development?
1: That's a great question. We haven't quite looked at it in the same way that you've just described, but we have looked to see whether there is a relationship between socioeconomic status, which is associated with the ability to use many of those community resources, and developmental outcomes. And in areas such as language, thinking, and social skills, the socioeconomic status of the family is the most important predictor of how children are doing, particularly when they're over age two as they enter the preschool and pre-kindergarten years. We also look to see whether or not the children's use of publicly funded services for children who are either at risk for developmental disorders or have developmental disorders was another factor associated with outcome. Now the difficulty in doing that part of the study is the children who have the greatest delays are the ones who are the most likely to get services through these publicly funded agencies. So you can see that when we go to look at outcomes, what we have to realize is that the children who get a lot of services are the children who came in to the services with the greatest problems. We don't find that the participation in early intervention or in physical therapy and occupational therapy actually changes the outcomes of those children, but we're going to look at that in a new way using a a technique called growth modeling, and my suspicion is when we look in a different manner, we may see the effects of those early intervention services.
0: That's really fascinating and something I hadn't thought about. The access to the services. And you said that the ones who need it the most use the services the most. Why is that?
1: There are federal guidelines and state laws about who can access early intervention services. The state of California, for example, says that children must experience at least a 25 percent delay in two areas of development or a 33 percent delay in one area of development to be eligible for early intervention services, what's called the Early Start Program here in California. That means that children who are delayed by the definitions that we used in our study, who may have a score, for example, of 80 on a developmental test, will not meet eligibility criteria for Early Start. And if that child is going to receive any kind of special help, educational services, physical therapy, speech language services, then the family will have to arrange for those services. So, unfortunately, we've set a threshold for use of these services in such a manner that some of the children born prematurely do not quite make it into those services.
0: And do these families not have private health care insurance?
1: They may not have private health care insurance, or they may have health care insurance that chooses not to cover some of the services that we think of as helpful for children born prematurely.
0: Is this something that a national health care plan would solve?
1: We'd have to have the right benefits put into any national health care system in order for these children to qualify for health insurance to pay for early intervention. I should say that it is an awfully good investment to try and help children early on in their development rather than to wait until their school age and may require special education services, which turn out to be much more expensive than early intervention services for children birth to three. This is, I think, a very, very important area for preventive health care. If you think about it, some of these children born prematurely have been in the hospital for months. Their hospital bills are at least six figures, and they've engaged the talent and skill and time of countless professionals. So we've done so much. We've invested so much to bring them to the point of a hospital discharge. It seems to me so sad that we don't invest even a fraction of that to make sure that once they're out of the hospital, they have the benefits of ideal environments and thoughtful, therapeutic, and educational supports in order to meet the highest level of function that they possibly can. And those supports and those services are a mere fraction, a tiny fraction, of what it costs to save that child's life. The reason that we wanted to do this study and the reason that we wanted to cast the results of this study in this way is that we did not want physicians, nurses, and other hospital professionals who've invested a lot in these babies to provide false or unqualified reassurances that the children will do well and then encourage the families to wait and see whether the children develop according to expectations rather than to get services as soon as they can to increase the likelihood that children will do well.
0: I'd like to thank Dr. Heidi Feldman, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing the neurodevelopmental catch-up of premature infants. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I leave you with the words of Dr. Maria Montessori. Our care of the children should be governed not by the desire to make them learn things, but by the endeavor to always keep burning within them the light which is called intelligence. I invite you to enlighten yourselves. Listen to our on-demand library by visiting us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months of free streaming audio. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. Listen all month as ReachMD XM 157 presents a special series focused on children's health. To download podcasts of this series, visit us at ReachMD.com.